I'm not letting anybody who has ever written around the nation on D3Football.com on a regular basis vote on this particular player of the year. It is an all randolph making wabash conversation at this point. I know. We just, just missed an around-the-nation head-to-head basketball championship. That would have been a lot of fun. Does Keith know that randolph Macon is in the finals? I was texting with Keith yesterday. I said uh, they were, at some point when they were up about, 15 or so I said are you watching this question mark and I didn't get a uh, response until about 15 minutes later but uh, he had been I mean this is what you do right in March you host a division three football podcast at the division three men's basketball final four overlooking a minor league baseball stadium I mean you could almost say we were hitting for the cycle Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 302. We're going to call this one... I think season 16, episode one. Anyway, it's the podcast for March 24th, 2022. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. I am Greg Thomas, the Around the Nation columnist at D3Football.com. And Pat, it is great to join you here in Fort Wayne in the middle of the Final Four. We are doing this podcast in person, face-to-face, in the the same place during, uh, because uh, we had this combination of things where... Greg's alma mater, Wabash College, was playing in the Division Three men's basketball Final Four. Uh, Greg makes the trip out from the West Coast to come to Indiana to do this. And, of course, I am at the Final Four in some one or the other Final Four this year, both, uh, basically every year since 1998. So it seemed only fitting that, especially since I picked up an interview on my last basketball trip, which we'll hear in a little bit with North Central head coach Brad Spencer, uh, that uh, we also bring the same recording equipment. And so we're sitting here in a hotel room in Fort Wayne, Indiana, a football podcast at a basketball tournament with a baseball stadium right outside the window. All three, the big three, all in one right here. We like to mix it up. Like This is multitasking at its finest. Uh, it sure is. I literally will go from this to finalizing the d3hoops.com all-america team to trying to grab some lunch to broadcasting the division three basketball all-star game so it's been uh, a lot of fun but we have of course uh we've missed a little bit of time on football we had a january podcast in which we basically previewed the kind of which for football might be a disastrous vote to cut the uh, qualification standards for an automatic bid from seven teams to six teams in all Division Three sports. Uh, there's already been ramifications for that for Division Three football. And then we didn't have one in February, and you weren't on the January one anyway. It was That was a me and Dave thing. Um, so uh, welcome back. I mean, you've had a little bit of time off. I hope you feel rested and recovered. For football podcasting, yes. Rested and recovers, not so much. Travel was uh, pretty... Uh strenuous to get out here on short notice but uh rested enough to do this football podcast and yeah this is two in a row in person in the midwest like we have to we have to <laughs> congregate somewhere to do these podcasts anymore it seems yes so we should definitely meet at a halfway point or in this case both of us travel then we'll ride 600 more so we went from seven teams to six and then almost immediately uh, something that had been talked about and rumored about, and we had been holding on to our story for months about the Landmark Conference going out and grabbing two schools. So they add Wilkes, they add Lycoming, and they already had, uh, this is going to tax me because, um, although my basketball brain should know who in the Landmark Conference has football because it is Catholic, it's Moravian, it's Susquehanna, and Juniata. So those four plus two more make six, and then... Uh, you know, step two is automatic bid, and I don't know if step three is profit, but what w- happens is we lose another at-large bid, and we're down to four at-large bids once this happens. Yeah, the Pool C gnomes are out doing their doing their business here. I, that was really, really quick that, um, that we saw a conference move to, um, you know, take advantage of that six teams for an automatic qualifier. You knew it was going to come. I didn't know that it was going to happen 
immediately after the vote. That was one of the things. So Dave McHugh and I have been chasing this story since like November. We kind of got the idea that it was going to happen basically immediately after the vote. We've been like warning people, I guess, that this was a possibility. I mean, here's the thing, right? Um, you know, you heard uh, the panel on the last podcast. Uh, for example, I think specifically Brad Bankston, who's the commissioner of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, was, I think, very cognizant of what uh, the ramifications could be for football. He's a guy who's been the chair of the Football National Committee before, um, and he's been a big person on the Division Three overall championships committee and really sees the big picture very well. But he understands that that's, this is the sort of thing that can happen. I think the other... Now, there may be other moves that happen that also kind of whittle away at our at-large bids, but they're going to be more difficult. Like people were talking, well, the MAC could split into two because they had they were on track to have 12 teams, but now two of them have left for the, for the landmark. I feel like there probably will be other moves, but it might take a couple of years for those to materialize. Yeah, I think so. And, I, you know, I think you'll see – I think you will see a little bit more uh, conference shuffling going on as uh, groups of teams – you know, form, you know, uh, alliances together and decide, you know, this is a good thing for these schools to be able to compete for a spot in national tournaments, not just football, but all of the other tournaments as well, where they might be able to work in smaller conferences. The downside to smaller conferences is now you're, you'll have more games that you need to schedule in September and, you know, we, we know from years and years of doing this that scheduling non-conference games is incredibly tough. One of the draws to being in a 10-team conference is that your, your schedule is mostly done. Absolutely. If you did not listen to uh, podcast number 301, and as I look at the stats, it seems like a good number of you did not, you should go back and listen. I would say also, um, first of all, important stuff about uh, all of these proposed changes that we talked about in that podcast did come to pass, as it were, at the uh, convention in January. It's changed how spring practice and preseason practice will go in football, so you guys should go back and review that. Uh, but also, Brad Bankston held out the possibility that it's not impossible that we might get expanded football playoffs at some point. I just assumed that there wasn't any appetite for it, and we are kind of locked by rule at 32 because adding another however many number of teams we're due we're owed three almost four teams we should have almost 36 teams in the playoffs so just think we'd be fighting about the seventh pool c and eighth pool c rather than ninth rather than you know the the fourth and fifth um that would take an extra week obviously right you got to add a week to the season there's not a lot of people who have a big amount of appetite for that but Brad Bankston let out, left out the possibility that that could happen, and that's the first time I've heard anybody say that in, you know, the twenty years almost that we've had this big a, a playoff bracket. Yeah, I mean, never say never, I guess, but it it does seem to be a awfully big hill to climb to add. Even one more team means that you have to add another week to the season, and that is a really really steep uh, ask for a lot of. Division three presidents that ultimately have to approve this sort of thing. I think that once we get to the point where we have those, where we have that six team standard, then uh, and have just the four at large bids for a year or two, I think there will be a movement to try to bring football and give football the opportunity to have a different standard. Because right now, football basically is the only one that is you know so locked at thirty two that it can't expand. Um, and maybe the answer I've been talking with some people about this. Maybe the answer is that. Not that it's just that football has the opportunity to set its own standard. Like, I think eight. Eight for an automatic bid for football probably makes some sense. I have some math on that in a minute. Um, but if it's not just football, if we also give, I don't know, ice hockey or golf or lacrosse or whatever, the opportunity to set their own automatic bid standards as well, that might be something that could pass. But generally... Um, like we've said before, things that are football only when sent to the larger Division Three membership don't generally tend to get approved. No, and it you know there are a lot of places where it seems to make sense that you know football is different than other um, Division Three sports, but the Division Three philosophy and these rules that govern the division are meant to be 
you know, inclusive of all sports and, you know, those philosophies and rules are applied to all sports. So, you know, the NCAA decided that automatic bids uh, go to conferences with six and that was beneficial to most, if not football. I don't think that folks thought that six automatic bids for football was a, was great for football. I, I think they went in with their eyes open on that vote, but, you know, benefited more than it hurt football in the eyes of the people that approved. And here we are, six automatic bids, and we're going to have the Landmark Conference to to watch. We'll definitely be talking about the Landmark Conference. If Division Three members who make these rules, you know, start to have a groundswell to change them, then maybe we uh, will change them too. Uh, I, you know, just go through and doing the math on the number of conferences that have just seven right now. If we had raised the standard to eight, what would have happened is I think we would have had, I believe, 10 seven-team conferences that would have lost automatic bids. But what that hap- what happens is then we just bring that back in the form of Pool B bids. So there would be probably about eight Pool B bids out of those 10 conferences. So almost all of those conferences would have a realistic opportunity to be included in the field for their champion. And then also, of course, they would be eligible for at-large bids, and there would be more at-large bids remaining too. In this mathematical scenario, I think there would be, I believe, seven at-large bids left also in a 32-team field. The thing is, is that you know, if you have an ECFC champion that is seven and three or six and four, that team doesn't make the field. If there's that, if there's an eight team qualifying standard, I don't want, I'm not, I'm trying not to speak ill of any particular conference. And I did just use a specific example, but I mean, obviously it's never been that every conference has a realistic opportunity to win a first round game and advance in the playoffs. But, you know, someone who's realistically going to be ranked 20th in a region of 40 teams I'm not exactly losing a ton of sleep over them not getting a shot yeah and you know the those are the teams that would wind up missing their access are the teams that you know win a conference with records of like seven and three or six and four and those are the teams that pop up when people see the bracket on selection Sunday they say why is this team this is a six and four team why are they in am I eight and two WIAC team is not and you know it's automatic qualifiers but like every every NCAA tournament ever this time of year here we're recording this on March 19th everybody should understand what the F an automatic bid is and they, for some reason they forget it when it's outside of the third week of March they do but you know I think we're on this we've, we've talked about this quite a bit over the years about how to work with the at-large pool and increase it to expand it and make it available to more teams that might have opportunities to win games in the tournament. And I think we were both have been on the same page with the right move here is probably, is probably to raise the limit for uh, minimum numbers of teams in a conference for AQ. And they went the other way and, you know, we're going to, we're down to four at-large bids now. And, um, Probably, and then I would I would assume in the next couple of years we might whittle that away uh, a little bit more. It certainly might be. I'll be interested to see what you know. It's decided that the line is before Division Three membership decides to act on this particular problem, which faces football, and I'm not sure how many other sports. Um, I have to go back and check my check my ice hockey notes sometime to see how uh, how that works out. We've gone way too far in this podcast, really way too far in this recording session without formally recognizing the support of our Patreon subscribers. People who support us on Patreon choose to do so at a level of, you know, anywhere from $3 a month up to there are people here in Fort Wayne this weekend who sponsor us at the $50 a month level, which is crazy and super helpful. It really allows us to do all sorts of things uh, from a Division Three sports perspective, Division Three football, Division Three basketball. Uh, by having that regular support that we can count on from people. Yeah, and this is this kind of event is really where we see a lot of the that Patreon support come to fruition. We're here bringing this to you in super crisp, high fidelity audio. You know, Pat Coleman, the the uh, team from D3Hoops.com is here. Ryan Scott doing his usual great work here on the floor at Fort Wayne. Gordon Mann is in Pittsburgh with the women's Final Four, and you know that those kinds of uh, things 
and the on-site support that we get for these championships is made possible in large part thanks to our Patreon subscribers. Yeah, so if you are interested in supporting this podcast and the operations of the website on a regular basis, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash d3sports, and you can get a little more information about that. And if you know, you're know you the type of person who wants to support the podcast but uh, doesn't want to give your credit card number to a group like that or doesn't want to do it on a monthly basis, there's an option for you to do that as well. You can help us out by going to d3sports.com slash help. As I mentioned, we talked with Brad Spencer. I sat down with him in his office at North Central uh, literally just a day and a half after he moved into his office. We'll have more conversation about that coming up in a little bit. But I also wanted to talk about some big picture things, right? I mean, we wrapped up the 2021 season hurriedly on a uh, Friday night in Canton, Ohio, slash Saturday morning almost in Canton, Ohio, and... Uh, and then a couple of days later, I got a message on D3 Boards, which is our message board. For those of you who did you know, we have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. You can register by going to d3boards.com. And got this message from one of uh, a very long time Mount Union fan. His handle is MUC57, and I apologize that I do not have your name but he is in his mid-80s because I believe 57 is his graduating year from then Mount Union College, now University of Mount Union. And he asked just some some just general questions. And I thought maybe it might be fun for you and I to tackle them. Um, so he had some bullet points. I don't know that we'll do all of them, but in recognition of MUC 57, here's the first question for you and I to talk about, are the purple powers still on the top of the heap? And he put purple powers in quotes, and I think maybe we might take have to take some time to define what purple powers are, because I think maybe if from his perspective, if it's only Mount Union and Whitewater, then it's a different answer. Uh, and if you include Mary Harden Baylor as a purple power, because purple is one of their things, then maybe that's, maybe that's a different answer. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, I think, in general, I think yes. Even though we've been seeing some some different uh, school colors in the final four over the last couple of tournaments, um, but in general, I mean, you know, UMHB if we're if we're counting them as a purple power, even though they have really adopted that all gold yeah, outfit, really which it's, yeah, it's man striking though. I like it. Um, it's easy to see on the field. <laughs> it, it's not for everybody. I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> You know, if we include UMHB, they've been in four of the last five Stag Bowls. They've won three of them. Mount Union has won one and played in another. Whitewater has played in the uh, 2019 championship, and they were a semifinalist last year. So those programs seem to be going strong. St. Thomas obviously has moved on, so they're out of the picture. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in general, those those are still the team's to beat, although, you know, Mount Union has, you know, they've been knocked off by North Central in the last two tournaments. So, you know, and they were they were pressed in a way that the other teams weren't in this last tournament by a pair of Centennial schools. True. Um, That's probably the, the real genesis of the question, right? I mean, uh, Muhlenberg played them tough. Johns Hopkins played them tough. Johns Hopkins played uh, Mount Union tough in the 2018 semifinals, and then uh, Mount Union uh, got edged out by Mary Harden Baylor in the Stag Bowl that year. I think that is that's a definite question to that we'll have to kind of keep watching going forward. It is. I mean, you know, the evolution of Mount Union in the post Karis era is is certainly interesting. We've been, you know, we our our antenna have been up on that since uh, Vince Karis left for Toledo. In general, I think you're looking at those three teams as as national title contenders, if not favorites. Like, you know, if there were odds on this sort of thing, which I don't believe that there are. Nor should be. Um, don't bet on it. You know, those those would probably have the, have the best odds of being in Stag Bowls. North Central is going to be in there. They've I think they've certainly cemented their place in that strata of the division. And then, you know, we'll see. We'll see who... Who is going to step up? We'll see what happens with Wheaton going forward after they've, you know, they had a really great team 
obviously, you know, lost to Central in the second round in, in maybe the game of the tournament. And, you know, they had a, just a bunch of super seniors on that team. And we'll see how they go forward after that graduating class and with their new coach as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Uh, you go back and look at all of the big-time coaches that have left Division Three or left their programs or retired over the course of just the past couple of years or the past couple of months, let's be honest with you, right? Pete Fredenberg retired. Uh, probably not a big surprise. I kind of thought he might retire after the previous national championship, uh, replaced from within by Larry Harmon. Pat Cerrone shown the door at UW Oshkosh. Peter Jennings, who is the, not the anchor, of course, but the offensive coordinator at UW Whitewater, makes the trip north. He'll be the new head coach there, right? Jeff Thorne leaves. We'll be talking with the guy who follows him coming up later in this podcast. You mentioned Wheaton. I mean, Jesse Scott is had one full season slash two years as head coach there. And then, you know, you talk then about Mount Union and all of a sudden, it is a, you know, kind of a completely different scenario, whereas once upon a time when we talked about, you know, not after Larry Karras left, but after Vince Karras left and you know, Jeff Dart gets promoted into that role, he was the new guy in the block. And now they're all kind of new guys on the block. And it, it seems like that levels out a little bit. It does. And we're, we got kind of a free form rundown here. So I'm going to I'm going to do a thing. I got stat of the week, Pat. Uh Oh, he's got the stat of the week. That's not my stat. Also, not going to be my stat. Not my stat. But that may be the most incredible stat. You mentioned, you know, Jeff Thorne has moved on. Pete Fredenberg is retired. Jay Losey also retired this February. And that leaves us, Pat, with zero head coaches in Division Three that have won a national championship. Isn't that crazy? I mean, when, uh, when, those, uh, when those previous changes happened... That was one thing. And then I had gotten the, gotten the questions like, is there anybody left in Division Three who has won a national championship? And I had to go back to the playoff history page and remind myself, blah, 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 right? The Vince Karras, Larry Karras, Lance Leipold, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, look, Jay Losey. Jay Losey is still head coach. He's a head coach at Lewis and Clark. And then two days later, boom, Jay Losey retires. And uh, yeah, literally, I don't... So I would have to go even, even in back into my memory... Uh, I would have to go find out. I don't know who coached Albion in 1994 is what I'm saying. That's how far back you have to go to find somebody who might still be coaching and is definitely not coaching in Division Three. Yeah, and I believe zero head coaches that have won a Stag Bowl. And I think the only head coach in the division right now that has been a head coach in a Stag Bowl is Kevin Bullis. I think that is the only one <laughs> yeah, you're who right. has coached in a Stag Bowl. And so, <laughs> you know, as as much as coaching matters in this game... We've got a, a whole, you know, 240 coaches that nobody has won it. We had this opportunity for a big reset, right? Uh, after COVID, and not to say that we're after COVID, but, you know, we're back to playing games after losing an entire season of football. Um, we had an opportunity for a reset, right? You know, we, had, we were already on that threshold because uh, North Central had beaten Mountain Union in the second round in 2019. And so you already had an opportunity to rethink things there. Then there's a whole year off and you don't really know who's coming back. And then, you know, now we have all this. It's like the nice thing is that to get back to the original question, right? The original question being, are the purple powers still on top of the heap? I think this the answer is yes, they are for now, but there's a real opportunity for more schools to continue to step up. So whether that is North Central, whether that is someone like Muhlenberg. I mean, you know, we uh, we kind of skip past two. I mean, Johns Hopkins had a, a coaching change as well because of the untimely death of Jim Margraff. You know, there's a coaching change there. That was a program that had had some success and then big success in the playoffs. I mean, Wesley, Wesley, the entire program and the entire school dissolved. You mentioned St. Thomas leaving Division Three. You know, if, even if we extend this out to the teams that are uh, that have played in the semifinals, John Carroll, Rick Finati up and resigned just in the past week. So there's going to be a change there in the OAC as well with, you know, one of Mount Union's most competitive rivals on the field in terms of football. The nice thing is that Division Three, I'm sure, cannot be boring over the course of the next couple of years when it comes to, uh, you know, figuring out what's going on from a football standpoint. Absolutely not. Yeah, a lot of, lot of moves in the coaching carousel, and you can check out all of those stories at d3football.com. 
That's true. By the time that this podcast drops, we'll have updated most of those moves that haven't come in the past month, uh, including that uh, we haven't posted the, a story about Jennings yet, for example, because February and March is a tough time for me to spend any time on D3 football because of the madness that is the Division Three men's and women's basketball tournament. Best hysteria! Moving on to another item on his list. Why is the WIAC the best conference in the land? Hey, where are you going to school next year? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Big school. I feel like this is something we've talked about, and I just wanted to say WIAC, for goodness sake, do people up in Oshkosh who say WIAC, I don't know what you're talking about. The WIAC is the W-E-A-C, the Wisconsin Education Association Commission. I don't even know what it is. It's like a education group. It's the WIAC, for goodness sake, or if you like, W-I-A-C, or uh, people in Wisconsin call it the State League, and that's okay too, but for goodness sake, it isn't the WIAC. Um, but I feel like the... The WIAC is the best conference in the land, probably for some of the reasons that we continue to talk about. Yeah, they that's a league that pushes one another. And they I I wrote an Around the Nation column with where I talked to I think four head coaches from the WIAC about why their league is so tough and they were very uh, you know, passionate about it and they push each other. They know that you ha- to win that league, you have to be national championship caliber good. Yeah. They recruit players that fit sizes. Like they know if you're going to play against Whitewater, you need to have ends that are this big and have arms this long and those kinds of things. And they, li- you know, that league is located in an area of the country where they have those players. Um, and I think where those players are available to Division three schools, right? So. You know, there's been a lot made that there's no D2 schools sponsoring football in Wisconsin. The D2 kids in uh, Wisconsin or the D2 level kids in Wisconsin, a lot of them end up in D3, but a lot of them go across the border to Minnesota where, uh, you know, Minnesota State is a prominent program. Minnesota Duluth has been a very good program in football and there's a bunch of others. And then there's some other opportunities in Illinois and a couple in Iowa for Division three for Division two football as well, but I mean, a lot of those guys do end up at the Division Three level. They do. They, I mean, they they are located geographically, and for all of those reasons that you mentioned, they are located in a place that makes building a really, really strong Division Three football league viable. And um, you know, and they have they've leveraged all of the advantages that they have there with the you know the high school talent that they build there, their location uh, near the Chicagoland area, which is a fertile recruiting ground for them. You know, that's, you know, that's a conference that just knows to win in that league every single Saturday, you have to be very good. And, you know, nobody, nobody slips. Even, even the, even the teams that finish toward the bottom of that league yeah. are, are good teams. <laughs> Wabash has played Stevens point. They did a home and home with Stevens point. They split those games, but Stevens point hasn't been a team that has been a contender for the WIAC championship, but you know, they gave Wabash tough games uh, two years in a row, you know, probably the biggest, most physical team that Wabash saw in those seasons, minus the North central playoff game. Um, but you know, that's like, even, even the teams, uh, Eau Claire, you know, yeah. they played Albion very tough. Did they beat Albion? No, they just, they just missed Albion, but that's another example of a, a team that is trying to work their way towards whitewater level that, you know, went and almost knocked off a conference champion somewhere else. So, you know, that, that you have to be great in that league to, to survive. Yeah. There's not a lot of complacency either. Right. I mean, so you mentioned that uh, Stevens point hasn't had a lot of success in the WIAC. I mean, Greg Breitbach, you know, just, I don't know, let go left, is gone, no longer the head coach at Stevens Point. That's another one of those in the past couple of weeks here in March, and they haven't had an above 500 record in league play since 2014. Um, But, you know, again, in non-conference play, they tend to pretty much have their way if they're able to get another D3 school. And we've gone this far into the conversation without talking about River Falls also, which is making serious noise about being at the very least last year, the third best team, uh, maybe yes, the third best team in the WIAC. I had to recalibrate for just a second. 
um, because they were five and two in the league, nine and two overall. They had their way with Wash U in the Butterburger Bowl, and uh, there, I hear there's another Butterburger style bowl game coming. Maybe we'll know something a little bit more this summer that's hopefully going to happen here in the fall of 2022. And I was talking with some conference commissioners here at the Final Four, uh, both the men's and women's Final Four, and uh, trying to get nudge more people into these. I'm going to take just a, a five-second detour into a previous topic because as at-large bids go away, these postseason opportunities for, I don't know, if you are a... I'm just going to start picking conferences off the list here. But you know, if you're a team in the heartland or a team in the SAA or a team in the presidents or the, um, not the Commonwealth coast. Cause everybody out in new England way has these, uh, bowl games already, but there's not a lot of postseason opportunities for, uh, second place teams in those conferences. And to have a, a bowl game to shoot for, I think is still a worthy goal. And I think it's still a good experience for the student athletes. Yeah, I think that's right. As as we take away more postseason opportunities for conference runners up, not just places in the heartland, Sing a song about the heartland, which typically don't have pool C contenders, even even runners up in leagues like the CCIW and the WIAC, MA, MIAC, ARC, yeah, point, yeah. ARC, those right. are all those are all conferences that are gonna start to have really, really good teams not qualify for the post for the NCAA tournament. You can make some really good cross conference matchups with those bowl games uh, in the Midwest. And it's, it is nice to see maybe some of that taking root um, in a region other than the Northeast. So keep an eye out for more of those things. And I feel like everybody involved with the Culver's Isthmus bowl, I will give it its actual name, um, like everybody involved with that thought it was a great thing and I hope to see the, uh, the same sort of concept expanded out in other areas yeah so I was down in that office it's been 18 years um, so f- switching I guess two doors down has uh, it's definitely an adjustment uh, no doubt it's amongst the other things that as a head coach you have to uh, you adjust to not only your daily schedule I, I think maybe like a week into it uh, I was joking with my my wife I think over dinner that the head coaching position has infinitely more meetings throughout the day which I don't I don't know maybe I was just oblivious to it with you know my previous two bosses because um, you have to talk to defensive people at some point I assume and it's, you know, it hasn't even been that. It, it, it's just, you know, you have so many, there's so many stakeholders on campus, uh, alumni, even people in the community. You know, a, a gentleman who's an alum of North Central, he's a professor at North Central. Um, he actually, I, I grew up going to the same church that he is a member of. You know, and they just kind of, they wander in and you have some conversations and before you know it, a half hour's passed and then your next meeting's up, your next meeting's up. My wife's been getting mad at me for not having my lunch. I'm coming home every night with my lunch still in my bag. Oh, uh-huh. um, Yeah, that's a bad <laughs> sign for health reasons as yeah, well as we'll, we'll adjust. workload. You, you know, we'll, I'll adjust and, and, you know, any coach would know that it's not unusual to, to miss a, a meal here or there as, as a coach. You just kind of get going with things and all of a sudden it's, it's past lunchtime it's past dinner time and you're having your dinner at midnight or 11 or right. or in this case my lunch at 7 p.m and then i'll have dinner at 10 p.m or something like that so it's you know yeah moving offices is just amongst some of the other adjustments you make uh becoming a head coach but it, it's been fantastic i mean it's uh you know talk again talk with my wife at night sometimes it's like i'm almost afraid to, to say how much i'm loving it um because it's just, it's been great. You know, we have such a wonderful staff and, you know, for our administration to keep everybody intact and, you know, make this decision quickly. Uh, we'll have it made before even any announcement came out of, right. of Jeff leaving for, for Western Michigan. Uh, the decisions were already made and, you know, our, I think it just allowed our young men to kind of take a deep breath, relax, say, okay, things are the same. And, you know, it's, you know, I can tell them, hey, we'll be back in the weight room tomorrow morning, just like we were yesterday. Yeah. 
and, and they just keep rolling, you know, and uh, it's, it's been a really good five, four or five weeks. When a guy who you played for, um, well, it's actually true, yes, a guy who you played mm-hmm. for, um, a guy who you coached under for right. many years, coached with, coached under, uh, and then goes and um, interviews for a job at a, uh, at, a, at a D1 school and then takes that job. Does, does that happen so far under the radar that you don't know? Or when do you kind of know that, that something's up, as it were? Sure. Um, you know, so Jeff had interviewed for or had the opportunity to take a similar job uh, a number of years ago. So you always know that it's a possibility and certainly it's no secret if you look around the nation and you see how coaches jump around in college football that it's just a reality of it. So I think at some level you're always, it's always there. You're not surprised when it all of a sudden happens. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, we've, we've been on a good roll and I feel like we've taken some really solid steps as a program in the last two or three years. Um, so it's not that you're not immune to coaches leaving, but you just, you've kind of, you get a rhythm, you get things going. Um, you know, you have a little bit of a, a warning, you know, coach let us know that he was looking at that opportunity and he wanted to make a decision and, you know, make things happen as quick as possible. There's, there's of course always, you know, some HR, I I don't want to say constraints, but, um, procedures, procedures that, that have to be followed. Um, but he, you know, he did it, I think as quick as he could. Uh, and, and so we had a little bit of time as a staff before we announced it, uh, at least for me, kind of get my head straight with, okay, these are going to be the next steps here's how we're going to communicate with recruits. Here's how you communicate with your players. You know, at the end of the day for us, your number one concern is, is that your players are in a good spot. They're happy. They're motivated. Uh, and and I, I thought our athletic director, I thought our staff, um, and, and certainly I did the best I could to just have doors open if anybody had questions or was concerned. And there really weren't. It was, it was a fairly smooth uh, uninterrupted process. And like I said, the, uh, the young men can just go about their days and they're still going to be going to study hall. They're still going to class. They're still going to workouts. They just kind of keep rolling. I mean, I obviously have, would assume you have a great normal everyday relationship with the guys who play offense. And now are you starting to, you know, try, try to develop some of those things with the guys on the other side of the ball? How much contact did you have with those guys previously? Is that like a, I know it's not like learning names or anything, but is it like, you know, getting to know these people better? How does that go? Yeah, I think one of the things I look most forward to becoming the head coach is being able to have my door open to everybody. You know, when you're a position coach, your door, it's, you know, it's, it's open to everyone, but, but the men that you're talking to the most are, are either the guys that you recruited or the guys in your position group. And, and so you've, you've, your, your chairs are kind of always open to those guys and, and they do, they come in, they watch film, they talk, they hang out, they laugh with each other. They laugh with you, you know, then as the offensive coordinator, you know, for the last six years, been able to do that with the whole offense. And so now I get to do it with the whole team. Yeah. Um, I certainly obviously know the names and have been familiar with all the guys on the defense. Um, you get pretty familiar with the guys that are on the scout defense as well when you're sure. the offensive coordinator, because you're, you're not only coaching your guys, but you're also coaching them as well to give the look that you're going to be seeing that week. Um, and, and then there's guys on defense, obviously, that I recruited. So I've always had, I think, a positive relationship with those guys. But being the head coach does put you in a position to now where you get to have a little bit, be a little more of a decision maker, I guess, uh, for that side of the ball. You know, Coach Durkin and I have a great working relationship. And, you know, We've always had, uh, since he's been here in 2018, had to, you know, be the two that are communicating about practice plans and crossover periods and, you know, who's doing what, where, um, you know, how are we going to do one-on-ones? How are we doing seven-on-seven, you know, lining up installs, uh, things like that. So I've always, you know, when you're the assistant head coach and you've been here for 18 years, uh, you're hands in a little bit of most things. Um, so I feel like I kind of had maybe a leg up, uh, in that category. Uh, but obviously now being the head coach, you've got the umbrella or the, 
you know, skyscraper view of everything. Um, and you are the final decision maker. Um, you know, so that does fall on you and, and maybe it's going to, it's obviously going to create some more opportunities for me. Um, but certainly, I mean, just what I'm most excited about is being able to do that with, with everybody, uh, which like I said, so far the last four or five weeks, that's been awesome. It's been great to have guys from the other side of the ball that maybe I, I didn't sit and talk to as much, uh, in the past, being able to do that now, um, especially with the older guys, you know, that have been around and, um, you know, guys that are really the big influencers on the team. It's, it's great being able to, to now have a greater impact on, on them as leaders. One of the things about the North central program and the North central offense over the past several years was, you know, the fact that you had multiple guys on this staff who had been coordinators previously, um, and recently. And so will you continue to think of yourself as the offensive coordinator? Will those duties get passed off? Will play calling duties get passed off? Or, you know, considering you kind of just moved into the office a couple of days ago, is that something that hasn't quite uh, been <laughs> sorted out yet? Well, you know, in that period of time where, you know, you know, it's a possibility that you might become the head coach, you start to formulate all those ideas and strategies. Um, you know, it's a mix, you know, to, to answer that question, Pat, it's a mix. Uh, for now, I'm going to continue to call the plays, but there will be responsibilities and jobs and, and titles that are going to get passed off to other people on the staff. Certainly Coach Studeman is well qualified, and a lot of that is going to land on on his plate. Um, you know, he's, he's called plays at two different schools, and you're right, it was a great I was very fortunate to be the offensive coordinator and have other guys on our staff on the offensive side of the ball that had been coordinators before. Um, not only do they understand how you're looking at things and the view you're taking on things, but they're also able to give some really great input, uh, know when to give input, uh, when not to give input. Um, I, I was in a great situation, you know, much like I think I'm in a great situation here, stepping in as, as a head coach to a successful program with very highly motivated people around me uh, that that want to be great in all aspects of life. Um, but to answer your question, it's a little bit of a mix, you know, a little bit of a mix. I'll keep calling the plays for now. And, you know, that could last for 10 years. It could last for 10 days. <laughs> right. It could uh, last through the first half of the first game. Yeah. Right? <laughs> which, you know, that's how in 2017, when I started calling the plays, it was halfway through the season. Jeff walked into my office on a Sunday night and said, you're calling the plays now. Um, Okay, let's I go. I vaguely remember something yeah, about that. Yeah, let's go. Um, you know, and, and that's worked out really well. So I know we've got people on our staff that are capable of those things. I think um, anytime a head coach wants to pass off those types of duties, uh, there's a little bit of a, a process of, you know, making sure the folks that are going to take that are ready. My advantage is I've got guys that are ready for that. Um, it's it's kind of more when I'm ready to give it up. Um, you know, so to speak as, as the head coach, but, you know, you see, there's a lot of coaches now at all levels, you know, there are head coaches that are still calling plays. So I, you know, if you have the right people around you, I think you can do it. Uh, but my mind's certainly open to, you know, fully passing all that off at, at some point, should I need to, or want to. I was a pretty good year for the, uh, North Central offense this past year. We saw a lot more of Ethan Greenfield. Obviously it looked like Luke Laning came along a little bit. Um, but I know he's a really good baseball player yeah, to point that direction. And I know that field is yeah. covered as uh, covered with snow while we're here right now. <laughs> right. But I mean, do you worry about, you know, him going that direction? It, obviously at D3, you can play two sports, but if he's good enough to play at the next level baseball wise, how long do you feel like you get to keep him in the football <laughs> uniform too? Right? Sure. Um, I think it's great that he's playing baseball and, you know, with the COVID year, he technically had game experience, uh, and success in baseball before football. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. D three baseball.com, uh, region rookie of the year. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, no, he had, he's tremendous in both. Um, we love that he plays both and coach Matthew's office, our baseball, he's actually right around here, uh, in this office suite. I was, I was actually a bat boy for coach Matthew. I grew up, oh, wow. I grew up on campus here. Okay. Um, so I have great respect for him and what, what he's done. He certainly had uh, – he just got his 700th win as a head coach. Um, so I love that Luke does that. We actually have five or six football guys that play baseball. We have another five or six in track. Uh, we had a couple of wrestlers. 
Um, certainly it takes a special young man to be able to do that and balance both and Luke's as good as there is at it. Uh, in, in terms of, you know, the next level, uh, I, I know Luke's priorities and heart are in, you know, getting a degree and, and playing both sports. He, he came here to play, uh, to do that. Uh, he actually came not knowing that he was going to play baseball and, you know, then okay. he kind of started thinking about it more, talking with those, uh, with the base, with coach Heller and coach Matty and, all of a sudden, he's like, "Yeah, let's do it," and then he's newcomer of the year. Right. Uh, it worked out okay, so I, I don't I don't worry about that happening. Um, now, if you all of a sudden become like a high draft pick and there's millions of dollars, then that's a different deal. But I, you know, young men aren't coming into uh, college planning on that. You're, you're coming into college to get your degree, prepare to have a job. Uh, so I'd fully expect him to to be around and. I think he likes the football thing a little bit too. <laughs> it does seem to be enjoyable for him. That's for it sure. Does. Um, so, right. You mentioned though, being a bat boy and I want to back up to that yeah. a little bit because you know, <laughs> like your bio says resides in Naperville, but that doesn't really talk about backstory of, you know, guy who attended North central guy who I think as far as I could tell, maybe looking through your bio was uh, joined the coaching staff immediately after graduation. So you've basically your entire adult life, have been here at North Central College, and now you're telling me that as a my entire life as a pre-college here. student. So tell yeah. me a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, um, born and raised in Naperville. I uh, went to Naperville Central High School. Was fortunate to win a state title there my senior year uh, in 1999. Um, came to North Central, and, and so I've been here the whole time. But I grew up on the campus. My father uh, worked here. Uh, he just retired in July, but so he's worked here my entire life. Uh, my grandfather's actually a North Central alum, okay. uh, played football here, and then went on to be a high school coach at Naperville Central. It was Naperville Community at the time, and he's in the IHSA Coaching Hall of Fame. Um, so I've been around here. Yeah, Coach Matthew, I was a bat boy for. I was a ball boy in basketball. I was, you know, I was on the football field in practices, um, games. You know, I have pictures with our athletic director when he was first hired here as an admissions counselor. Uh, so it's <laughs> the, yeah. the, the bloodlines here for me at North central are very long and deep. Um, so, you know, I mean, what an honor for me to, to be the head coach of my, my alma mater. It's, it's a rare thing in coaching. It's, it's just, it's, and it's rare that I would be able to have been here all 18 years of my career. Right. Um, I didn't GA coach John Thorne hired me right away as a 22 year old and just kind of threw a lot on my plate and said, get going. Uh, here we are 18 years later. It's kind of wild. Wow. I'm going to ask this one purely from a personal perspective. Yeah. Is it difficult having been here the whole time, mm-hmm. right? There are people here who know knew you as a teenager right. or as a very young adult. And, I, and I'm going to speak only for myself for the moment. Um, like when I was in my early 20s, I was a pretty brash, kind of abrasive guy. And people who knew me then, <laughs> now at age 49... Um, you know, might still think about that person <laughs> sure. and it's a lot of baggage. And I'm just wondering, you know, having been here that whole time, are there, do you ever feel like there are people who remember you as a, like a 18 year old and, and have trouble getting past that? I don't think so. Um, because there are, there's a, a, there's a lot of folks at North central that have been at North central for a long time, you know, whether yeah. it's in athletics and Frank Gramoroso or Al Carius or Ed Mathy, or it's, you know, it's up campus in uh, admissions, the president's office, alumni office, whatever it might be. And there's a lot of folks that knew me as an 18-year-old or younger, you yeah. know, because my my dad worked with them. Right. Um, I don't think so. I think I did the best I could at that age to, I don't want to say fly under the radar, but just be <laughs> as, you know, polite, mature, and, um, you know, well-grounded as, as I can be. I, I think, you know, uh, my parents were fantastic. And I I think they did a great job of allowing me to be me, even going to college in your hometown. Uh, they gave me space. Uh, but at the same time, I think they didn't instilled some really great grounding values. Uh, so I'd I'd like to think I kept myself, uh, away from some of those, uh, (laughs) pitfalls, well, opinions. Um, but I, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, I joke with Coach Mathy and, and Coach Miller at AD all the time, you know, about being an eight-year-old bat boy or yeah. uh, getting babysat by their players, you know, things <laughs> like that. It's, you know, things change. And I, I think people, if there were any um, 
you know, bumps in the road. I, I think people understand that who you are as a 40 year old is obviously a lot different or a 49 year old. Uh, oh man, you said it. <laughs> I heard I, it. I know. I can't bleep that out. Now. Right. Um, I, th- I think they, you know, understand that you mature and change. That, that's why we're in coaching. Uh, I mean, we're in coaching to see young men as 18 year olds become men as 22, 23 year olds. And there's obviously a, a maturation process. And so I think the industry that I'm in lends itself to, uh, accepting change in, in that way. If, if there was, you know, necessity for that. Fair point, fair point. And I would have to assume, you know, just for the program as a whole, right. The goals remain the same, right? Yep. Uh, I would say win the bell, but it's retain the bell, right? Win the conference championship, win a national championship. Are those, is that, is there anything else on the goal ladder or anything like that? Well, you kind of hit all of them on the football field. Um, but yeah, the, our, our mission hasn't changed. Our, our, you know, and, and this is, you know, Jeff Thorne's coaching mentor is the same as my coaching mentor. And that was his dad, John. Um, and so when he came in and I was a junior at the time and uh, in years time, I got to be a captain for him. And, you know, our, our, our mission was faith, family and academics and building young men into all American husbands and fathers, employees, um, you know, whatever doctors, lawyers, coaches, teachers, whatever it might be. Um, you know, that's still our mission. Our mission is still young men and, developing them to be great when they walk out of here. Uh, the goal is, is still championships on the football field, and um, that's not going to change. You know, of course, as the head coach, you have to have, uh, you know, a vision of where you want to grow the program and, and where you want to go, and we certainly have those, and those are certainly conversations that are being had with administration all the way from the top down, and, um, you know, you, you can't just rest on what you have and be happy about it. You have to continue to push and continue to grow, uh, as a program. And I think there's every program in the country. I think there's still steps that coaching staffs would want to take. Uh, even if you've played in two national titles in a row, I mean, um, you can look at Mary Harden Baylor. They've played in four of the last five, won two of them. Um, I mean, they've really won three of them. They won. I like to right. say that they won three stag bowl games, and then people can debate yeah, how many trophies it, they should exa- have. Right? Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. And you know, so there's 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 still goals for us to at- obtain, and and we're still reaching for those things, and um, to put ourselves on the mantle in the same place as some of those top teams. Uh, that's the goal. You know, but you don't you can't accomplish that in one year. Right, it's going to take many years. Um, but you can only do it one year at a time. You know, and so that's where our focus is: is you know, how do we get to be something like some of those bigger, you know, those programs that have played in multiple, multiple national titles and won them? Yeah, that's that's the big picture. Um, you know, but how do we go about doing that day by day? That's our focus. It's almost like this is a really good year to take over as head coach because, you know, Pete Fredenberg retires. So there's a new wow. coach in Mary Harden Baylor. Yeah. You, know, um, you know, Jeff Dart has only been at Mount Union for a season and yeah. a half or a season yep. plus the COVID year. Um, you know, a lot of those schools that have played in national title games and multiples of them are going to be in a similar situation, right? Where the longtime head coaching person or the head coaching tree has kind of gone away and then there are new people and new faces and for people like me lots of questions and curiosity as to how things are going to play out right you know and and again it goes you know i mentioned it earlier our administration having a plan for when jeff uh you know left and and being able to execute it and get somebody in right away so that you don't have you know coaches leaving to me that's when you when you have a, pro- a program that's been successful and has won and has producing graduates with jobs, you want to keep that moving. And if you have people within the framework of that program, it gives you the ability as an athletic director to hire those folks, you know, with the goal of maintaining that standard. Um, You know, so certainly, you know, you, you see Coach Dart taking over or, you know, maybe it's it's Coach Scott at Wheaton College. Same thing. You know, successful programs. Another good example. Yep. Yeah. People that have come up in those programs are alums. Um, 
right. they have the opportunity to keep perpetuating that culture and uh, those traditions. You know, it's it's a much different situation than having somebody come in and, and just kind of try and hit reset or, or blow up what's going on. Um, you know, none of our coaches are leaving. They're all staying. So, the, again, the day-to-day of the players can stay the same. The messaging, um, you know, might be a little bit different here and there because, you know, I'm not trying to be Jeff Thorne or John Thorne or, or Nick Saban. You know, I, I've got to be Brad Spencer and, you know, I have to – approach situations and conversations and decisions the way that I'm going to. But, you know, the nuts and bolts, the brick and mortar is all here. It's in place because, you know, the previous head coaches, quite frankly, just worked their tails off to build it and get it there. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I've been here since the start of that two years as a player and then right. last 18 as a coach. And um, so I've seen that building process. I've been a part of it. And I think that that's an advantage you know, as opposed to bringing somebody else in who really doesn't know the history, doesn't understand the work that went into, you know, getting to where we can say we've won 12 conference titles in the last 16 years. Um, it's hard work. <laughs> it's a right. lot of hard work. Uh, and, and Jeff and John certainly here laid the found, you know, the foundation for that the same way the coaches at all those other places uh, did it there. Um, like I said, I'm lucky to be in, in this, in this office now, fortunate as you have been for two days, not even Greg. I sat down with coach Spencer in his office. It's a corner office tucked underneath the stadium. There's no windows in this office. The, the back wall, the wall kind of behind the desk, uh, where the coach sits, it's, it's slanted, you know, at the angle that the bleachers are, right? You see where the stadium is literally built in there. I, for one, could not imagine spending as many years in that office as Jeff Thorne did. Just from a office look and feel standpoint, I recently at home moved out of my basement windowless office um, because some more room in my house opened up. And now I generally office in my living room, which is great. And I will still go back downstairs to the basement to record podcasts because it's, you know, I've got still some soundproofing on the walls and all sorts of good stuff there. But I can't imagine sitting in a windowless office. And then, you know, as Brad Spencer and I were talking afterwards too, it was like, it is not just the head coach's office. that's like that. He's been in a, cof- a very similar office down the hall for 18 years. It's crazy. I think it's crazy. I was going to say, did, did he have like soundproofing in the window? Because you guys sounded like you were in a studio. That was incredible. The, the fidelity on that interview. I'm hoping that it sounds exactly the same, this portion of the podcast, because I'm basically using the same equipment. Uh, thanks to our Patreon supporters. It was able to, do a little bit of upgrading into the audio equipment that I travel on the road with. So that was that was very helpful. If you think we sound better today, that's awesome. That's why. Uh, no, no soundproofing. But I just I was amused by all this to say, you know, to harken back to the part that he had just moved into the office uh, like a day and a half prior, even though he'd been the head coach for more than a month. It takes time, I guess. I guess you know if you don't need the extra office and you're busy assuming head coach duties, um, maybe packing up and moving your things down the hall isn't the top priority. Right. Um, but yeah, it was a really good talk with Brad Spencer. I was, what I'm struck with as we talked to North Central at, you know, through their playoff run this year and at the Stag Bowl and now talking to Brad Spencer promoted from within, the the thorns there have really laid the foundation where the leadership on that team are all guys that came up with yeah. the thorns. Right, right. Brad Spencer played for Dave DeGeorge, the previous coach, for two years. Uh, and that is like the last, you know, everything else is Thorn. And all the success that they've had in the last 20 years is all Thorn family. And now the their, their legacy. They have been very deliberate and intentional about laying the foundation and sort of the blueprint for how North Central College football works. And they, you know build that with guys from the program and they sustain it with guys from the program. And they're doing that with Brad Spencer. And I don't see a particularly good reason to think that North Central is not going to continue to be one of the top teams in the country with this coaching change because the the style, the philosophy, and the foundation is all the same. I don't expect to get on a plane anytime soon and go down to Belton, Texas, but love to have a similar conversation with Larry Harmon at some point, if possible. We tried to have a conversation with Jeff Dart along these same sort of lines, but we have so many of these uh, 
teams and spots turning over here in Division Three over the course of the last several years. So I know that interview was a little bit longer than usual, but I feel like I really want to spend some time here in the offseason with some of these people to try to you know have a bit, little bit more extended conversation. And it makes sense to promote from within when you are a very successful program, right? If it's not broken, don't fix it. You want to keep that continuity going. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, Wheaton going with Jesse Scott, Jeff Dart, Larry Harmon, you know, all of these programs have no reason to try and, you know, shake things up if they don't need to. And, um, though, you know, hiring from within and hiring people from within that family, uh, makes sense for those programs. Just looking ahead a little bit to North Central in 2022. We talked a little bit about Luke Lane and he's having a, a pretty good baseball season so far. Um, you know, obviously much more to come on that over the course of the next six to eight weeks. You can go to d3baseball.com for more about Division Three baseball. And I believe they'll start the season with another game from Aurora. And then you're jumping right back into that CCIW schedule. You're going to have a little brass bell game, which I assume will be early in the season. Again, I don't know how often the uh, CCIW master schedule switches. And maybe I can click through and get a 2022 schedule. But uh, indeed, oh, okay, right. Thank you. I'm gonna take all the way. I'm gonna take this all the way back now that I'm looking. Yes, you know better than I do. I would not just. Well, I'm not gonna edit this out. But uh, of course, you know who North Central is opening with, and I did remember hearing about this once upon a time. Yeah, North Central will be going to uh, Crawfordsville North at to play at Wabash in the opening week this year. It's a really exciting opportunity for Wabash to play. Uh, North Central again for the first time since 2019 in the first round, but at the site of that memorable 2011 playoff game. Second time since the game that we, we uh, is much more memorable, right? Yeah, th- that's a great opportunity for Wabash and should be a good game for North Central as well. That's a good, good, testy environment for you know one of the nation's top teams to go in and and play a game against. If we find anybody who can bring down Ethan Greenfield the way Kellen Schreiber brought down an Elmer's player in the national semifinals, then I think uh, Wabash will be in good shape. Let's put it that way. And then, of course, uh, North Central and uh, Wheaton, that's the little brass bell game that will be October 1st. That is week five, the third conference game. So teams a little bit more under their belt uh, before they get into what would be a very key part of the CCIW schedule. Yeah, and CCIW play, you know, that's that's a good league, um, but that's, you know, North Central and Wheaton have kind of separated themselves a little bit. It'll be interesting to see if Illinois Wesleyan can rebound after just kind of a weird season for them in 2021. Um, see if they could sort of reestablish their, themselves in the top three of that league and be competitive with Wheaton and North Central going forward. So lots to keep an eye out for there. We will continue to talk with other coaches here over the course of the offseason. I am glad that we've got this March podcast recorded here even before basketball is over. That gives me a week or two to flush and reset my brain. I don't know. Maybe we even get an opportunity where in one of these months we might do more than one of these podcasts. I think that's a possibility. Well, the look on your face, the startled look on your face. Uh, I, is that okay with you? Is that okay with your wife? Two off-season pods in one month? We can, prob- we can probably swing that. Well, I'll have to work it around my very intense vacation schedule this summer, but I think we can probably, we can probably find an hour or two once or twice a month. Same. Uh, I'm not saying twice every month, but I'm saying if uh, we want to make up a February podcast somewhere, I would love to squeeze two into May or into July. Yeah, and this is, you know, not a bad time to try and reach coaches and sit down for 20 minutes for an interview. We'll do more of that as the offseason goes on, and uh, you'll be able to hear about it here on D3Football.com. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 302, released on March 24th of 2022. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for continuing coverage throughout the off season. You can support production of this podcast. You are literally supporting production of this podcast in a very literal way right now. If you are a Patreon subscriber, uh, you can do that by uh, going to patreon.com slash D3 sports. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N 
d3sports.com. You also help support the d3sports.com family of websites in general by doing so. Uh, but even if you can't af- afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, tell a classmate, tell a fellow alum of your school about this show, the place where you can find out about Division Three football. You can also rate and review us in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. You remember Keith, right? Keith McMillan? Keith's team playing for the Division Three basketball national championship tonight. I dare say a favorite to win the men's basketball national championship tonight. You can needle him at at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know you can join the conversation by registering a post at D3Boards.com? Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh, although we did not choose to bring him in to help produce this particular podcast. He's somewhere else in this hotel. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks. You can find them at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to Dave McHugh. Thanks to Brad Spencer. Thanks to Clark Teuscher, the Sports Information Director at North Central. Thanks to everybody else who helped in the production of this podcast. Coming to you live from Fort Wayne. We'll do it live. it. Do it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Thanks to Greg Thomas, my co-host, and thanks to the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McMillan. I, I wish, to be honest with you, I wish it were a baseball day. I mean, obviously, it's rainy and it's windy, wind blowing out to center field at about 25 miles an hour, but it would be cool if someday there were a, like a Division Three baseball event, like a doubleheader or something that takes place out here on this field in March when the basketball championship is just up the road. That would be cool. I wonder, who's, so who's closest here? Manchester. I don't, think, I don't know that they would come up here to play, but maybe they could. Manchester is very intimately involved in running the operations of the, of the championship, but maybe, you know, Dylan Bender, very overextended SID over there, might be interested in having a baseball game that's here on this day rather than in campus. Thank you, Thank you so much, everybody.